What if our purpose was found not in what we do for God, but what he has already done for us? That's a, that's a good question. A couple weeks ago, we started our series, What's Our Purpose? in the book of Ephesians. And last week, we finished up chapter 1, where Paul was reminding the people in Ephesus how rich they were and how blessed they were. And he covered seven points to help them understand just how rich they were. He said, you're chosen. He said, you are made holy and blameless through Christ. You are adopted into his family. Through the blood of Christ, you've been redeemed. You've been bought back from slavery to sin and forgiven of your sins. You've had God's grace just lavished upon you. You've been marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. In the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is that same power that's at work in you, transforming you to be more like Christ. This morning we're going to start our study with chapter 2. But Paul continues to highlight those benefits of being in Christ by reminding the people in Ephesus where they came from. You know, before and after photos are, are really one of the best marketing ploys ever invented. They use it for laundry detergent. They use it for diet pills, exercise equipment, makeup, surgery, you name it. There's a before picture. It's made to look kind of dark and dreary. And then the after picture, which is glamorized in the hopes that, hey, I want that kind of change too. So that you go and you buy their product. And that's what Paul's doing in this first part of chapter 2. He's painting the same kind of before and after picture for the believers. So let's start reading in verse 1, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Once you were dead, you may have been physically alive, your heart was beating, there was some brain function, lungs were taking in air, but spiritually, you were dead. You were destined for eternal separation from God. Jesus is life. He said so. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. But until Jesus' life enters our spirit, we're dead. See, God's made us with a void, an empty space that only he can fill. We just tried to fill it with everything else in the world. We'll live for ourselves. We'll live for things, possessions. We live for greed and for power. 
we want to be our own God. And we will worship whatever we believe will serve us best. And that is what Paul means by dead. We are alive on the outside, but we're dead on the inside. Before Jesus, we were dead men walking. Living in this world, going about our daily activities, but separated from God. Enemies of God in both our mind and our thoughts and in our actions. Colossians 1.21 describes it this way. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. We were enslaved by evil. We were obeying Satan, the prince of this world. Because if you aren't following Christ, then you're following Satan. There's no other choice. Christ or Satan. But nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to recognize that they're following Satan. No one wants to acknowledge that Satan even exists most of the time. Before I came to know Christ, I would have told you that I was my own person. I had my own religion. It was Christianism. I was my own God. I made my own decisions. I was choosing my own way, walking in my own path. I created my own destiny. No one was going to tell me what to do or how to do it or who to be. I was my own person. But that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. And he continues that same deception today that he started back in the garden. Surely God didn't say that. Surely you will not die if you disobey God. Surely you will be like God if you do this. He continues that lie in the world today. Verse 3 says, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. See, Satan's primary command, do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you feel good. And that's how we lived. Before Jesus, that's how we lived. We were satisfying our desires, our cravings for what we wanted, no matter what the cost was, to us or others. It was all about me, myself, and I. Doesn't matter what that sin is, the world will rationalize it for you. In fact, usually the world will come out and glamorize that sin for you, make it look more enticing, dress it up in jewels for you. And glitter. And part of that fight that we have against God, we think that if we just change our circumstances, if we just do good things, then we can change the world. And then, then we're good enough. 
Well, Harry donates money to charity, so he's good. Well, Mary gives her time to feed the homeless. <laughs> and Charlie, he's out there feeding the homeless. And so then we start to compare ourselves to those around us, and we say, well, I'm not that bad. We want to create for ourselves these levels of badness, almost a level of death. When someone tells you, oh, did you hear so-and-so died? Have you ever said, oh, how dead are they? No, that would be ridiculous because dead is dead is dead. And so before Christ, you were dead. It didn't matter how good you thought you were, you were dead. There was no level of dead. Dead is dead is dead. Do we understand that? Dead is dead is dead. You cannot come to Christ. You cannot get to heaven without the blood of Jesus. It, it will not happen. John 3.18 There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him already has been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. But pastor, but pastor, don't we serve a loving God? Why would he condemn good people to hell, eternity without him? We're all born in sin. And by nature... We're deserving of God's wrath and judgment. From birth, we are selfish creatures. Look at a baby. They scream for food. They scream for attention. It really doesn't change much when you're 45. You still want attention. You still want people to give you what you want. It doesn't change that much. We may look older, but that nature is still there. All people regardless of their age, regardless of their sex, their nation that they come from, everyone falls short of the glory of God. Without Christ, none of us are good. None of us come into this world good. We're all objects of God's wrath. But everyone in the world has the choice to become an object of praise and glory for God through Jesus Christ. So God doesn't send anyone to hell. We send ourselves there because we make a choice. See, the reason we really want to argue with God's justice is because we really don't understand the horror of sin. We don't want to recognize what we really deserve. You see, Paul has painted this dismal picture, a dismal but very real picture of what we were before Christ. We were dead. We were deceived and doomed. But the best two words in Scripture, but God steps in. We were objects of his wrath. We were hopeless, enslaved to sin, and in rebellion to God. But God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. God's love for us is immeasurable. He's just and holy, but he's also merciful and loving. We know what we deserve, but God stepped in. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We deserve death, but God showed us mercy. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us what we needed, a Savior. Romans 5.8 But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still yet sinners. In Christ, we've been given life. In Christ, we've had a spiritual resurrection. We've been raised from the dead. And not only that, but he has seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ. Physically, we're here, but spiritually, we're seated with Christ in heaven. You know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in a place of power and authority, waiting for all things to be made subject to him. And believers are right there with him. Praise God. Through God's rich mercy, through his great love that redeemed us in Jesus' death and resurrection, through his grace, we've gone from objects of God's wrath to sitting with Jesus at the almighty hand of God. Can we, can we wrap our heads around that? How the magnitude and immenseness of that. Jesus' blood has taken us from death, resurrected us to life, to sitting with, sitting with him in heaven. Wow. That's incredible. Well, why? Why did, Jesus, why did Jesus do that? Why did God do that? Well, for love. But verse 7 gives us a reason. So we could be examples of the wealth of God's grace and kindness. Just as our actions reveal our character, God's actions reveal his nature to us. When he raises us from spiritual death to life, when he seats us with Christ in the heavenly realms, it's a demonstration of his grace and his kindness and his love for us through the work of Christ. Paul reminds us in verse 8 that it's all about him. It's all about God. 
his work. It's his gift, not anything that we've done. Remember, we were dead. A dead man in a funeral home doesn't hear the conversations going on around him. Doesn't see activity, doesn't hear anything that's going on around him. He's dead. And neither can we, in our spiritually dead state, hear anything of God. When we're dead, we don't hear anything from the spiritual world. We hear nothing of God. We hear nothing of the spiritual activity around us. It's only when God steps in to reveal himself that we can discern his gift of grace. We can no more raise ourselves from death to eternal life than Lazarus could raise himself from the tomb. See, Paul understood what this meant. He was the worst sinner, he called himself. The worst sinner of all the sinners. He was among the walking dead. He was religious, and yet he was in rebellion to God. He was a persecutor of believers. He was driven by desires that were of the world and completely contrary to God's will. But God stepped in during Paul's journey to Damascus. You can read about it in the ninth chapter of Acts. It was God's divine intervention that gave Paul his but God moment, resurrecting him from spiritual death to eternal life. See, Paul understood all of this on a personal level. He understood what his before and after pictures looked like. In his before picture, he was striving for personal gain. He was working through selfish motives. But after his encounter with Christ... He was striving for God's glory because his eyes had been opened to the greatness of God's love, the amazing grace that God lavished upon him when he believed. Paul finishes up this first part of chapter 2 saying, We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In our before picture, we were dead, we were deceived, and we were utterly hopeless. Because Satan's in the demolishing business. He steals your dreams, he hardens your heart, and he drowns your joy. He crushes your spirit, and he extinguishes your hope. He leaves us doomed to spend eternity separated from God. And that's where every one of us was at one time. But God stepped in, and through his great love and mercy, he brought us to life in Christ. See, our after picture is one of just wonderment and praise over what God has done. In Christ, God not only shows us mercy, he inspires our dreams, he overflows our joy, He ignites our hope. He renews our spirit and he seals our eternal future. In Christ, we've become adopted into God's family. In Christ, we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're seated with Jesus in the heavens. We're called his masterpiece. That kind of change, that bringing someone from death to life, is only 
an action of God. It's only something God can do. Christianity is not just some club that we join. It's not just something that you signed up for because you think it'll be better in your life. It's not an add-on. It's not an accessory to make you look good. Christianity is the very voice of God speaking into your soul in such a way that it just longs to know him more, to know his love and his grace and his purpose for your life. We need to understand the magnitude of that. See, we're not talking about just a resuscitation. See, a resuscitation is just waking up from a sleepy state and moving on. We're talking about a resurrection. We were dead in our sins, ensnared in the devil's schemes. But the creator of the universe, through the blood of Jesus Christ, he resurrected us. We have a new life. See, the old is just cast aside. We're new creations. We're not just an updated, better version of our old us. We're completely new. New creations. We shouldn't be tied to the old stuff at all. We should be casting it aside and saying, here I am, a new creation in the blood of Christ, and I'm going this way. That's what Christianity is. That's what our purpose is. C.S. Lewis described the awesomeness of this transformation, saying that the equivalent would be a marble statue of a man coming to life as a real flesh and blood man. His quote was this, This world is a great sculptor shop. We are the statues, and there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. Have you experienced that but God moment in your life? That but God moment of redemption where you cast the old away and you embrace the new creation that you are in Christ. You say, here I am, Lord. Take me wherever you want me to go. Have you had that but God moment? That moment where you can say that I left my old self crucified on the cross with Jesus so that the life I now live is through Christ Jesus, through my faith in his action. You're a new creation. You're a masterpiece formed and touched by the master's hand. A masterpiece is considered the greatest work of an artist. You know, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is in Florence right now, Italy. She's finishing up her fine arts degree there, and, and she's, she's an art major, so it's, she's just in awe of everything. And she sends me pictures back, and she says, Mom, I'm standing before Michelangelo's masterpiece. It's the statue of David, Mom. And she stands there, and she, you know, there's a picture of her, and she's beaming. She's absolutely beaming as she looks upon this work of art masterpiece that's what each of us are a masterpiece God looks upon us as his greatest work wow if that doesn't encourage us to run out there and say you know what Lord here I am I want to do this for you 
want to do this for you. I just want to tell others how awesome you are. People out there, they're dead. They don't know they're dead. We can't tell them they're dead. They don't want to hear it. But we can show them what it's like to be alive. We can show them what it's like to be alive through our acts of kindness, through acts of love, and through acts of mercy. That's our purpose. And we do that because of what Christ has already done for us. It's not about what we're going to do for him, because he's already done it all. We're just responding.